Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Thank you, Mikey, for that special music. You know what that was, right? This is my father's world. In spite of what's going on in the world, this is still my father's world. He created it, and he will take it back when he comes again. Well, for those of you who are visiting with us for the first time, or for those of you who've been watching us for uh, uh, many uh, uh, Sabbaths already, I want to look here. We have a, in our pews right in front of you, you have what we call a connect card. It's right in here. That's why I wanted to leave it there. So if you've been worshiping with us and you're not connected with us, and if you'd like to, to, uh, to know what's going on here, we welcome you to take this connect card. One is for connection, news, events, and so forth. The other is, you know, if you have any prayer requests, something that you would like us to pray for, or if you have a special need, Please make use of this Connect card. And if you're watching, if you're watching on our television, you can go to uh, our website, to friendlychurch.com, and there you'll find my contact information, our church office information. And please write us and uh, ask us to connect you with us uh, via um, these other avenues of digital technology that we have to communicate to you and to get uh, connected and stay, stay connected to each other. <clears throat> glory, glory, hallelujah, since I laid my burdens down because we have a wonderful Savior. Those two songs really moved me. So I invite you that at this time, as we open our hearts to receive God's words, that you will lay your burdens down and open your heart to receive Him. <clears throat> I want to say welcome to welcome back to our series on the topic of the Holy Spirit. You may ask, why do we do it? Why do we need to do it? Well, <clears throat> someone said. People don't know that they don't know. I know it seems like a play with words, but it's true. How many people know of the Holy Spirit? If you were to poll the streets, if you were to go out on the streets and ask people if they know of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> some Christians will do, but most people now will not know. They will answer in our post-American culture. People will ask, will answer just like the Ephesians answered in first century AD when Paul went to them and presented them the Holy Spirit. They said in Acts 9-2, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And they were already Christians. Most people heard of and know about Jesus. Holy Spirit, 
They don't know. And if you were to poll the Seventh-day Adventist churches and ask them about the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, people will most likely tell you, well, they, we expect that this lack of power will be supplied by the latter rain. And what happens is they will fail to receive the former rain, which is available to us now. To expect to be filled with the latter rain without the infilling of the early rain is, as Ellen White calls it, a terrible mistake. As a pastor in a Christian church, in a Christian Seventh-day Adventist church, I want everybody in my district of churches here, Lawrenceburg, and everybody who is watching, I want everybody to know of the Holy Spirit and to take opportunity of the infilling of the Spirit before it is too late. In 2012, in 2012, the Three Gorges Dam in China took over the number one spot of the largest hydroelectric plant in electricity production, replacing the Itaipu hydroelectric plant in Brazil and Paraguay. The Three Gorges Dam has a generating capacity of 22,500 megawatts compared to 14,000 megawatts of the Itabu. Well, these power plants generate a massive amount of electric power. And this power is an invisible power, but once it's captured, see, it's right there behind the dam, but once it's captured, it has the capability of lighting our homes and streets and buildings and heating our homes and buildings and powering our cars and trains. It's amazing what the electric, electric power can do. It is invisible to the human eye, yet it can do wonderful, wonderful things. In the spiritual realm, there is a power. And I'm going to review a little bit because some of you are here for the first time and maybe some of you are watching for the first time. <clears throat> In the spiritual realm, there is a power, a power that is literally invisible to the human eye, yet it has the capability to make miracles. It has the capability to change and transform lives. The ability that no other power in the world can do. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls this power our helper. He also calls it our comforter. And right before he left earth, Jesus instructed his disciples to wait for the promise. I guess we're having a problem again. <clears throat> hmm. To wait for the promise of the Father, which he has said, you have heard me. 
for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. <clears throat> Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, he calls it helper, comforter, and the promise of the Father. What we really know from the scriptures, from the book of Acts and the books of Joel and Revelation is that there will be two outpouring of the Spirit. Two outpouring of the Spirit. One began at Pentecost and is what Jesus instructed his disciples to wait for and we call that the early rain. The other is what prophet Joel prophesied and he says that in the last days there will be another manifestation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and we call that the latter rain. There we go. All right. These are the two outpourings of the Holy Spirit. They are on your screen. Thank you, Lou. <clears throat> we borrow these two terms from nature. In the Middle East, where Jesus lived, there is an early rain that happens after the seed is planted, and it helps to germinate the seed, and then there is another rainy season, the latter rain, which helps the crop to ripe before it is harvested. Why would we need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> there are benefits. There are benefits if we have it, and there are consequences if we don't. We looked at the fruit of the Spirit a few weeks ago. <clears throat> Do you know what is it? Do you know where you find it in the Bible? What book of the Bible do we find the fruit of the Spirit? The book of Galatians. Book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22-23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. How can we have this fruit? By abiding in Jesus. Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. When we are in him and he in us, you may say, how is that possible? It is possible through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. See, when you get the baptism of the Spirit, you become a Spirit-filled Christian. And your life produces the fruit. You don't have to work hard at self-control or having patience. You hear people once in a while say, 
I got to work on my patience, or I got to work on my self-control. Notice, there is only one fruit, singular. The fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, plural. One fruit with nine qualities. When you are Spirit-filled, you have them all and have them effortlessly, naturally, as a product of being filled with the Holy Spirit in your life. The Apostle Paul places the fruit of the Spirit in contrast, in direct contrast, I should say, with the things of the world. That's why the first word in verse 22 of chapter 5 in Galatians 5, the first word is a contrasting preposition. But it puts something in contrast with what's been before, and what's been before is uh, 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 the works of the flesh. He puts the works of the flesh in contrast with the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you look those verses up, Galatians 5, 19 to 21, I'm going to put them on the screen. These are the works of the flesh. This is what he wants to contrast the Holy Spirit's fruit with. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, he says, of which I told you beforehand and also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He is straightforward about it. So, what do we do with these works of flesh? How do we have victories over them? We let go of them. We surrender. You hear, you, you hear this a lot, too. Uh, James 4, 7 is uh, actually the Christian favorite verse. Christians like to quote James 4, 7 in their battle in this world, in their spiritual battles. <clears throat> James 4, 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Right? Is surrender enough? No, it isn't. It is necessary, but it's not enough. I told you my experience a couple of weeks ago going to the dentist. I had something that bothered me, went to the dentist and ended up with a root canal that afternoon. The dentist saw that I had an infection I wasn't aware of and he said he needed to clean it. And after numbing half of my mouth, which felt like half of my head was numb, after doing that, he began the process of cleaning. And man, he cleaned and he cleaned and he cleaned. Deep down there, it felt like, whoa! That was deep cleaning. See, first, the cleaning that is necessary to get rid of all the impurity, all infection, 
total cleaning, deep cleaning. But what if the dentist, after he cleaned everything, said, Marius, you're good to go. What? You're good to go? I had a hole in my tooth. What would have happened if I was good to go? If I would listen to him, right? Well, the infection would have come right back and make it even worse. I needed that tooth not only to be cleaned, but also filled with the filling. That explains why some of us Christians who surrender their life, their worldly things at the foot of the cross, we put the behaviors, we, we, we are sincerely surrendering, but later do things that blow our minds. We cannot just surrender, stop the behavior, the habits, the wickedness, or the weaknesses and the sins. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. Once we're cleansed and filled with the Spirit, then we can resist the devil. Do you know why the devil is fleeing? He's not fleeing because he's afraid of you. No. Because why he's fleeing? Think about it for a moment. He's fleeing because he has no chance fighting the Holy Spirit that is in you when you're a Spirit-filled Christian. And that's natural. That's logical. It makes sense. We are humans. The devil is an angel. Yes, a fallen angel. Nevertheless, he is an angel. Angels are one higher level than the humans. We cannot do the fight. We cannot battle with the devil and win. But the Holy Spirit, oh yes, he can. Because the Holy Spirit is divine. See, the Holy Spirit is one with the Father and the Son. When you and I let go of self and get filled with the Spirit... The devil flees from you. The devil flees from us. And our life will naturally produce the fruit of the Spirit. Last week, we asked the question, do you like him like him? Remember? Playing with words a little bit. Do you like Jesus the way he is? Or do you create your own Jesus? And we presented the recent newly created unbiblical Jesus by the postmodern philosophers, theologians, and preachers. Then we presented the real, true Jesus who can be found only in the Scriptures, only in the Bible, guided by the Holy Spirit, by the way. And we made a commitment to accept the loving, merciful, graceful, just, and righteous Jesus. And we concluded that the only way to know Jesus is through, the, through His Word, guided by His Spirit. Jesus said, when He, the Holy Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. So, last week, we asked the question, do you know Him? 
Today, we will reverse the question and learn an answer to the question, does he know you? You know, this is a question that we all have to have it answered before he comes. And I'll share something at the end in the appeal. What makes me think about this? It is a serious question. It's a sincere and honest question that we can ask this morning. Does he know me? Does he know me? We will have to have this question answered before he returns. That's actually the title of my sermon, if you were to take notes. I want to ask you a question. How many of you know this man? Some of you may, right? Newer generation. His name is Elon Musk. I'm a big fan of his. I like his cars, the, you know, the Tesla cars. I like his innovations. I like the research and resources he invested in space science. And I'm not sure if you know, but a few, uh, a couple of months ago, was that a couple of months ago? Yes, he uh, helped the American government launch uh, uh, in space two astronauts to the International Space Center. And uh, they were transported there uh, with the first private space aircraft. I have read about him. I watched videos about his life, his innovation. Let's say, this is not true, but let's say I work for his corporation. Maybe some of you do. Let's say I work for his corporation in one of his companies, one of manufacturers, and one day he comes to Louisville and says he will take his friends, those whom he knows personally, he will take them to one of his mansions for a grand party. He gives a meeting place where he will come with his bus to pick up his friends, and I show up at the bus station just a little late. The door of the bus is shut. I bang on the door and say, Elon, Elon, it's me, Marius. I know you. I work for you. I, I, I love all you do for the world. Let me in. I want to be at your party. And I hear him on the other side of the door answering, I don't know you, Marius. I'm sorry. I don't know you. You're not my friend. I don't know you. Now, there is a story, a parable that Jesus tell his, tells his disciples to illustrate this sad reality. It is found in Matthew chapter 25. I'll have it on the screen, but if you want to follow with me in your Bible, I will be using New King James Version. It's found in Matthew 25, verses 1 to 12. Let me give you a context of this parable, the parable of the ten virgins. See, it is told by Jesus 
Jesus is about to end his mission on earth and he's going to leave this planet but he's going to come back. He's going to return. And he already told his disciples that he's going to come back in glory and majesty as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's going to be a glorious day. And he's going to take him to the wedding feast, to the wedding of the Lamb. In Matthew 24, 3, when, G, when his disciples learned this... In Matthew 24, verse 3, they ask, Tell us, when will this be? And Jesus did not tell them a date. He gave them a time frame, a context of history when his second coming will happen. He gave them a list of signs that will happen so when they see these signs, they will recognize he's about to come back. He's about to return. So Jesus gave them signs in the world and signs in the church. Matthew 24, in Matthew 24, Jesus presents the state of the world before he comes. In Matthew 25, Jesus presents the state of the church before he comes. In Matthew 25, when Jesus begins presenting the state of the church, he begins that with a parable. And that's the parable of the ten virgins. Let's read it. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 12. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lambs and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lambs and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lambs. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lambs. And, he, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lambs are going out. But the wise answer saying, No, lest there should be not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, what does he say? I do not know you. My friends, brothers and sisters, YouTube viewers, this message, the entire message is an appeal to you. Do you know, 
Does the bridegroom know you? Does he know you? What is the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins? They all went to meet the bridegroom, right? They all took their lamps, right? They all had oil initially. They all had some oil because their lamps were burning. But they were running out. The problem is they did not have the extra or the reserve oil. In verse 5, something happens to all of them. What's that? It says, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. How many slept? All of them. Now, the sad part of the story is the end of the parable. See, this is not a story with a happy ending, at least not for half of them. Five of them did not make it to the wedding of the bridegroom, though they were invited. What is the reason they didn't make it? We know the bridegroom said to them, I don't know you. What made the difference? What made the difference? The oil. The extra oil. Let's decode this parable because when Jesus speaks in parables, he uh, uses coded symbolic language to illustrate and teach a spiritual lesson. In this parable, there are symbols that represent either items or persons from real life. The ten virgins, virgins in the Bible, represent God's people, His church. They are represented by virgins because they don't mix truth with error. They don't mix biblical teaching with human teaching. They stay with the truth and principles of truth as recorded in God's Word, the Bible. They are ten because that's the number representing the complete picture of character. Remember, we have... Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments depict the character of God. When we follow the Ten Commandments, we reflect God's character in the world and we give Him glory. So the ten virgins represent God's true people in the world. The lamps. The lamps represent the guided understanding of God's Word. All ten virgins had lambs, and their lambs had some oil in them originally, indicated that when God created us, He created us in His own image, and by default, we reflected His character, making distinction between right and wrong. And even to this day, we are born with a conscience that has this capability and we have some understanding of truth. But that's not enough. The bridegroom. The bridegroom is Christ, the Messiah. The bridegroom is Jesus. Now, 
something happened to all as they were waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. They all fell asleep. So before Jesus comes, his church is asleep. And that's for a very short period of time. And that's what makes the coming of our Lord a surprise for all. Like a thief in the night, as Jesus says, right? But before they all fell asleep, five of them, 50% of God's people, made an important decision. They made sure they had extra oil. Oil represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is what gives light. It is what gives guidance. What works through the lamp. You got to have the lamp and the oil in order to see clearly. You got to study the Bible and you got to have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You got to have the infilling of the Spirit in order to make it to the wedding of, to the, wedding of the bridegroom. Oil is the Holy Spirit. The wise virgins had extra oil. They were not content with what they had in their lamps. They made sure they had extra oil with them. And by the way, there's a lot to talk about over here, but I'm not going to spend that. If you want to talk with me about that, I read with Pam and we prayed about this. It's so fascinating, the importance of the Holy Spirit and how it works through the lamp. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Since oil represents the Holy Spirit, my friends, we need the extra infilling of the Holy Spirit to make it to the wedding of our bridegroom, Jesus. If you don't have it, the bridegroom will say, I don't know you. Remember that through the infilling of the Spirit, Jesus lives in us and we live in Him. We have an intimate relationship with Jesus. It's not casual, it's deep, it's honest, it's sincere, it's real. And, it's pro and it proves to be vitally essential to our salvation. When we have that relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we know Him, not about Him, like I know about Elon Musk. There is a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. When we really know him, he knows us, he lives in us and through us. And like I said in my previous sermons, when he lives in us, he, we will have Jesus' likes and dislikes. Whatever Jesus likes, we will like. Whatever Jesus does not like, we will not like. And Ellen White you look, uh, I quoted that last Sabbath and the Sabbath before. Don't have time to quote that here. She tells us that we will have Jesus' impulses. Wow! It goes that deep. His impulses become our impulses. By having His life in us and living out the Ten Commandments through us, we are sealed with God's character. 
we as Seventh Adventists talk a lot about the seal of God and we place that on the Sabbath. Sabbath is a part of the Ten Commandments. When we keep all Ten Commandments, we receive that seal of God, the character of God on us. It's like being stamped with God's seal. Have you ever seen these labels? <clears throat> Certified organic. You got a stamp. Imagine you have God's spirit in you and you are certified God's child. Jesus lives through you. You are spirit filled and you are sealed for heaven. Pastor Dennis Smith writes, those who receive this mark have experienced the law of God in their hearts and the things in the world are repulsive to them. Wow. Have you ever stopped to think what happens when you don't have the Holy Spirit's baptism? It's exactly what happened to the foolish virgins who didn't have the extra oil. The bridegroom said, I don't know you. My friends, does Jesus know you? Does he know you? This is what happened to the foolish virgins. And I like it how they are described in the book Christ, Christ Object Lessons because I believe it's a true picture of our reality. Christ Object Lessons, page 411. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth, but they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. The class represented by the foolish virgins have been content with a superficial work. They do not know God. Their service de degenerates into a form. Wow. And then she says, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as on the day of Pentecost, will lead to a revival of true religion and to the performance of many wonderful works. Heavenly intelligences will come along among us and men will speak as they are moved by the Holy Spirit of God. The great sin of those who profess to be Christians is that they do not open the heart to receive the Holy Spirit. My friends, would you make a decision to be, to be filled with His Spirit today and to commit to daily ask for a fresh amount of oil? If you do, would you stand as I want to end with one last quote just for those who commit to get the Holy Spirit in their hearts. If you like to have the Holy Spirit power, would you stand? And this is the quote for you. Only those filled with the Spirit will fully manifest 
the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Only those baptized by the Spirit will fully manifest the character of Christ in their lives. Only those with the extra oil of the Spirit, which refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, will be ready for the bridegroom when He comes. They got the extra oil needed to endure through the night until the bridegroom returns. And this is how they live. They remain faithful to their Lord to the end. They know Him so intimately and love Him so deeply that they would rather die than to hurt or disappoint Him. Does He know you is the question today. I pray Jesus will know all of us when he returns. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.